And we're back with another episode of The Anarchist Experience, episode 290, a.k.a. Year 6, Week 40, uh, coming at you this week. As always, I am your host, Mr. Rich E. Rich, along with MC and KS. And since this is your regularly scheduled call-in show, uh, those numbers for you to dial are 303-335-9527 or 303-835-1301. That's 303-335-9527 or 303-835-1301. So what is going on with you guys this week? Uh, Nothing with me. Um, I heard there was some uh, hilarity going on with the debates. Well, yes, but you guys didn't watch the debate, right? (laughs) Like you missed uh, and, out again, and and I because I I assume I'm going to hear all about it anyway, and which I just did, <laughs> and and also I assume that I'm not going to learn anything new or, uh, uh, yeah, it's just just for entertainment, I guess is is and it's not that entertaining to me. So, and again, I'm, I will say this again. I said this after the first debate. Um, I think part of that entertainment value is lost. Uh, based on the audience that you watched the debate with, right? Yeah, I like, think that's true. So, so once again, like me here in New Hampshire, uh, part of the Free State Project, uh, I text my buddy and I go, "Hey, is there going to be a debate watch party?" And he goes, "Yep." I go, "All right, I'm there." And, you know, I get the thumbs up. Um, they did a movie night followed by the debate, uh, but twenty, you know, twenty, thirty, I think a little, a handful less th- than the first debate show up. Uh, to watch this thing. So you have uh, a room full of libertarians, uh, anarchists, uh, and the ilk, um, you know, laughing and booing and jeering and correcting, like live fact-checking uh, the, the, the debate. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's fun. You know, it's, 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 an inter- it's as good as a movie night for me if I was, you know, going to go hang out with friends and go do something. So it's, you know, it might not be what we were doing. It might have been who we were with, uh, but it, it definitely makes uh, the debate more enjoyable. Um, oh, I would have enjoyed that. Uh, yeah. It wasn't online. It was in person. Uh, yeah. So move to New Hampshire, yeah. Ken. Like, it's yeah, just, yeah, yeah. We're waiting for you. Well, uh, we, we, we should have done such a thing here, except that it was on, oh, it was on Thursday night. We, I could have, yeah. Yeah. And, well, and that's the other thing that makes it a little more convenient here, right, is the live debate starts at 9 p.m. So, you know, he's like, oh, are you going to come for movie night? And I was like, no, nah, because I'm, I, you know, I get off of work. I'm going to go home. I'm going to hit the gym and take a shower, eat my dinner, and then I'll head over, you know, whenever, whenever after that. So there was a lot more, uh, there's a lot more time to watch the live debate than what, like three o'clock in the afternoon, Hawaii time, <laughs> where most people are going to miss it. Uh, if, if you are still working, uh, in normal hours anyway. So yeah, that helps a little bit, but again, the, you know, the, it's the company you keep, um, uh, you know, the, 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 the friend of mine that, uh, I was enjoying the debate with, you know, he's a, uh, big, uh, Twitterati guy. Like he's always on social media, um, uh, for good reason. I won't get into it here cause I don't want to point him out or call him out or anything like that. But, um, you know, funny things happen during the debate. Right. And, you know, so he's tweeting out the whole time. He's showing me like what he's about to tweet and who he's tagging and whatever. And then, you know, Trump brings up uh, something about, you know, like, why didn't you do this sooner, Joe? Like you had eight years with Obama. Uh, And Biden basically said, uh, because we had, uh, you know, uh, Republican House, Republican Senate or whatever, Republican Congress, uh, and they blocked everything we tried to do. 
and Trump goes, <laughs> and Trump, you know, goes like, well, come on, Joe, you, you got to talk him into it. You got, you got, you got to talk him into it. Um, and so I look over at my buddy, I'm like, dude, that has to be, that has to be on a t-shirt, right? You, that was, that was the, like the line of the night. And sure enough, he goes, grabs his laptop, works on it five, you know, maybe, maybe 10, I'm going to say five minutes later, uh, the t-shirt was designed, uploaded and ready for sale like that quickly, you know? Trump says nice. something, boom, you know, we're selling t-shirts or he's selling t-shirts. Yeah. So, yeah, I hope he makes a lot of money on on his t-shirts. I'm not sure that the <clears throat> that I mean it's a little bit like the pot calling the kettle black. Is Trump saying that he talks the Democrats into his program? Uh obviously not. Right, but take <laughs> but taken out of context, that is a that is a very peculiar quote, right? Uh, as many uses as you can get out of that thing as possible, uh, kind of. But I mean, if you go by Trump's uh, story, he's done more than any president in the history of presidents. Sure, so, by by negotiating, by convincing. Yeah, know. that's that's his story that he he talks people into things and that he has done a lot. And I don't know you the know, art of the deal. I don't know if that's if he's actually accomplished that much. Um, you know, I hope not. But <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, because usually when government does something, it's it's bad. And, and there, I mean, obviously there's some good things like some reduction in regulations and stuff. But uh, uh, but definitely not enough. So and I think a lot of that happened early on, like yeah. ye- year one of his presidency, or like at least the first six months. I want I would say at least that. Uh, there was a lot of deregulation and, you know, I think even here on this program, we kind of gave him a little, I must have gave him the golf clap, right? Uh, good job, right? Can't, can't talk bad about the dude who's lifting regulations for individuals and businesses and whatnot. That's, you know, well, that's a pro-liberty you have, move. You have to balance it against the much more uh, draconian regulations he was putting on immigration, Well, which I consider far, far more... Uh, harmful to the U.S. economy and to the lives of of human beings all around the planet. Um, I mean, yes. I mean, I, 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 I. For example, <clears throat> he got all these praises for cutting taxes. He didn't cut taxes <laughs> when he raised the government spending and signed off on this huge uh, increase in the in the budget. That's raising the tax, but it's not. But you know, they just don't call it that. Right. So I don't want to say like it has to be balanced against. I say we give him the golf clap when he deregulates things and then we call him out when he institutes other penalties or taxes or, you know, anti-liberty, anti-freedom um, laws, decrees, whatever you want to call it when, when he does it unilaterally. Um, but yeah, you know, if, if, he, if he's lifting restrictions... Right. You know, like his, his big claim, uh, one of the claims to fame, uh, at least that came up with, in the debate because it was one of the sticking points was getting out of the Paris Accords. Right. He goes like Paris Accords, bad for America. Silly agreements, you know, and Joe Biden, one of the first things he goes like, no, we're going to we're going to reenter the Paris Accords uh, because good for the environment. Right. And so who do you want? Right? Do you want do you want the pro America anti Paris Accords, uh, less regulations on American businesses going forward, or do you want to weigh that against Joe Biden going like, nope, the environment as a whole is more important. And this is the world we're talking about, not just America. Perhaps I'm wrong, but my impression of the Paris Accords was that they were all show anyway, that every country 
uh, pledges to do something and then they don't, you know, but the pledge is what gets them all this fame and popularity and, and rah, rah. Um, but they don't do it anyway. So like the Kyoto protocols, you know, how many nations signed up that only the United States and China were the big ones that didn't sign up. And it didn't mean anything. It was all promises and empty promises. We know that politicians promises are nothing. So, uh, I don't see that it would have been uh, uh, any different whether the U.S. is a signatory or a non-signatory to the Kyoto Pro- to the Pro- to the Paris uh, Treaty. Okay, so are you saying that the 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 political move would be to stay in the Paris Accord and then just not honor it? Like that's yeah. Okay, that's the political move. Okay, <laughs> the, the political move. Fine. Now you could say, "Oh, well, this is this." Well, then, point for Biden, then. But uh, if, um, well, not, not not it's not a necessarily a point. It's a it's a political point for the left uh, to to pick a politician who claims that they want to do the Paris Accord or whatever. Yeah, but if he's not going to do it, then you know he'll get the political capital for for saying he will do it. And then experience yeah, but, none of these setbacks for actually not doing it. But he also has uh, opposition who who can point out that it's fraud to even be associated with the Paris Agreement. So um, the, he could lose people too. So, and I think that's that's really what he would have done when you're talking about the vast majority of uh, fence voters at this point. Yeah. Like we talked about the last time, like people who still haven't decided. Right. Do you, again, it's it's either pro America or pro environment. And when Trump's going like I'm doing these things for America uh, because I'm not a real politician, I'm here for you to fix all the things that you know Joe broke with Obama. Um, again, I would I would say I, that. I think a lot of it is actually not even about the environment at all. I think I mean uh, from the leftist standpoint, it's like pro media. The media says uh, that that the environment is in trouble and, you know, it's constant fear and anxiety. And, and so if you want to be on the side of the media, then you have to be pro Paris agreement. And so that's, that's really what the, I guess the, the strain between the, the, the left and the right has become is, uh, um, you know, being politically correct uh, uh, and, and fearful of everything or uh, not. And being more so, Trump is uh, more uh, proud and optimistic, and and the left is the exact opposite. I okay. hear all this he- heavy breathing, and where is that coming from? <laughs> Could be me riding up on the microphone. Oh. Oh. I'll back away when <laughs> yeah. I'm not talking. <laughs> Rudy Giuliani is not around here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's and, a topic uh, you can bring up too in this session. <laughs> so, that, and that's why I, I'm I am biased. I'm I I hope that uh, Biden loses, but the reason why is because it's it's not just about him. It's about the whole uh, leftist ideology that is uh, that dominates the the media and even the social media platforms and their fact checkers and stuff like that. It's I don't want them to be in power. That's that would be horrible because they they are the Borg. They all think alike. They they they're all uh, fearful and hateful and uh, uh, depressed and and everything. You know, Trump makes them that way in a way. But still, 
you don't i don't want th- those type of people to be the ones making any decisions in in the, in the country um well that you raise an interesting point here about um i think they've been increasingly radical on the left mm-hmm. because they've had this boogeyman to rail against on the right i sure. think if, if for example if it had been mitt romney it would have been much harder for Bernie Sanders and AOC and and uh, and the others to be as far left and as extreme as they have mm-hmm. gotten, and uh, so that's that's uh, a thing right. just about and, politics in, in. And so when when the clown shows up on the right, the appropriate thing to do would be to act more mature and more factual and 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 less hostile and and all the you know. You know, act like an adult. Yeah. Well, then you got Biden going that we 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 respect the truth more than facts. <laughs> That's a yeah, quote he, somewhere. He's, yeah. he's just he's just, Biden's just kind of old and not not with it. But um, but my point is that the the whole I'm talking about the whole left in, in general uh, and the, the you know the hive mind and you know, the the whole orange man bad uh, crowd, which is. I think appropriate to call them, but um, it's it gets old, and they and they don't realize that that it's it's uh, it, it can make them look bad at the same time that they, they're trying to make Trump look bad. Is it fair to say at this point the left voting block is uh, anti-Trump more so than they are pro-Biden? I think that's obvious. Yeah. 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 So it doesn't matter who's up there from the left; is they'll get the they'll get that vote, yeah. simply because that person is not Donald Trump. True, but I think that a lot of the Democrats decided that Biden was more electable than Elizabeth Warren or Bernie Sanders. That they they so hated Trump that they thought, okay, this isn't the time to go with our our dream person. We've got to think of somebody who is more elect, more likely to defeat Trump. So maybe it was a tempering thing. See, and I, I personally want to say that that was a miscalculation because f- I know I might be too close to the, to the situation, uh, but I thought that Bernie Sanders was probably the left's best bet at the time. Like I, I couldn't imagine I, I would, I would Bernie say- Sanders not getting the nomination. Early on, true. Um, he, he probably should have got it, but um, you know, j- just from talking to random uh, people, in, you know, around me, I, I I've not talked to one person that said, "Oh, I'm I'm glad it was Biden versus instead of Bernie Sanders." Every right. time, every time I talk to a Democrat, it's always, "Oh, it should have been Bernie." I'm like, well, yeah, but you you guys don't realize that you're not actually in control of the Democrat Party. Right. There's there's people in the Democratic Party that have way more pull than you do, and and you're not going to do anything about it because, um, well, you just don't care enough. And the only argument that makes sense to me that I go, okay, yeah, I can get that, when it comes to like why Biden over Bernie was simply because Bernie would not pull the middle, right? Ber- Bernie and, has and, the yeah. left and the extreme left, and I, I agree, and I and I think that uh, had Bernie got the nomination. Maybe he would have, you know, changed his tone a little bit uh, to pull the center, but um, I, I still, I, I still think he's a more effective communicator and a more effective liar than, <laughs> than, uh, 
than uh, uh, Biden. Okay. Let me say this then about Bernie Sanders, at least uh, personality-wise. Um, I don't know if I would classify him as you know the the stereotypical lying politician, mm-hmm. right? From my understanding, uh, he is very sincere and very committed to his message. And a lot of the disagreement with Bernie Sanders is more so on message than it is on um, the person himself. Sure. Is that fair as well? Yeah. KS, thoughts? Oh, that's fine. Yeah. Okay. So Bernie Sanders would be a more sincere uh, you know, a, a political opponent, candidate for president, where if, when, he, when when he says, no, we, w- we want these socialist policies, we want to tax the rich, uh, eat the rich, whatever, um, you can go like, well, yeah, he not not only does he really believe that, I believe that he would work towards those goals as well. Um, and that would, you know, destroy the middle vote. Uh, and Trump would likely take it, would have taken it in a landslide in in that situation. Well, I mean, Bi- Biden's destroying the middle middle vote too, uh, with his tax plan. Now, now the the media doesn't focus on the tax plan because, well, it destroys the middle vote. Right, but B- Bernie would have been overt, right? Sure. Like <laughs> Bernie would have been overt. <laughs> the media would not would not have been able to hide it. <laughs> but right. you know, you never know. They they could have talked to him and, and say, "This is what you have to say," and he might have said it. You know, he might have. I, I don't. I don't know. Because, uh, you know, in in the Democrat debates, it was a hundred percent. How can we tax more? How can we uh, regulate more? How can we, you know, save the the, the climate? And um, uh, how how can we uh, punish the rich? And how can we get more free stuff for everybody? Free education for everybody? It it was uh, the the Democrat debates were were all about that. Yeah. And all of it was absurd, but Bernie was the best at that. You know? And to Joe Biden's credit, the Green New Deal did not come up at all in this in this second. Well, debate. yeah, because the media doesn't want it to. Understood. Because Understood. they don't want to. They don't want to lose the middle, and that's my whole point: is that they would have, you know, talked to Bernie Sanders, and they would have been like, "Look, you have to get the middle. You can't say these things, and and you know, and this is what you should say, <laughs> and you keep the keep the pressure just on Trump. Don't say what your policies are because they're kind of crazy." <laughs> Right, but Trump didn't bring it up either. Like he made a point oh, of yeah. pointing it out in the first debate, and the, this uh, the second debate, Trump did not bring up the Green New Deal at all. Uh, as far as uh, you know, the, the the attacks by Trump uh, in the second debate, it was mostly uh, on the character of Joe Biden as the you know as the corrupt politician uh, mm-hmm. with the family making money off of his you know political status. So yeah. Trump went and, there quite a and bit. And so and that's the obvious thing to do because the this the whole debates is not so much about ideas as about uh these two personalities at this point. And so yeah, pointing out Biden's fl- personal flaws and his record is probably the right thing to do. Right. And I I did read one article however that said like that might have been too inside baseball. Like there aren't there aren't enough of the that middle voting block that pays enough attention to uh, the news and social media where all of those references that uh, Trump was throwing out there uh, as a, you know, attacks on Joe Biden's character uh, might have gone over the heads of, of people. Uh, 
you you wanted me to bring it up, KS, so we'll, I'll go ahead and bring it up. Now, the other thing uh, from the debate that went over the heads uh, of a whole bunch of people who uh, M- uh, MCUs have the Trump derangement syndrome um, is back to immigration. And how indeed do those kids get across the border? Uh, on, <laughs> on the backs or the mouths of coyotes? Coyotes. Coyotes. Or coyotes, as you know, Trump likes to say. So this this was another interesting I think thing. Your listening audience, yeah, you need to explain what it is that you're. Listening. Of course, I'm not going to bury the lead that much. Uh, <laughs> during the debate, you know, the, the the topic of immigration comes up, and they go, "Hey, Donald, uh, what happened? How, how did you how did you how did you lose the parents of like 500 kids? Like, how do you have like 500 kids? You can't find the parents anymore. Like, how how does that happen?" in doing these immigration proceedings. Um, and Trump, you know, his answer was, well, not all of them came with parents, right? Some of them were brought over, you know, smuggled over, smuggled into the country by the cartels. Uh, and others were smuggled into the country by coyotes. And apparently there's a, a, a distinct group of the voting population um, who does not know what the, you know, what the definition of a coyote is. Um, and so they went off on social media wondering how insane is Trump to think that this dog breed <laughs> was actually carrying humans across the border. And so there's there's that explanation. So these these are voters. right? These are people that will determine your fate in, in a couple of weeks here. Yeah. Uh, and so don't my, know what coyotes are. My explanation about that is that, um, and we already mentioned it on the air is that Trump drives people crazy. And I don't think they have the mental uh, capacity when they're in that state of mind to listen to Trump in any other way, but literally. So they, they can't understand Trump because they refuse to think about what he's saying. And so the first thing that pops to their head is, Oh, he said coyote. That means uh, an animal uh, was bringing kids across the border. Wiley with his, his Acme gear hoisting children across the border. Your thoughts on coyotes, uh, KS? <laughs> well, I mean, it's hilarious that people would actually think that that Trump was thinking of literal coyotes. Um, Not just people, voters. Voters. These are voters. These are people paying attention to the debate, cheering on their man, Joe Biden, because he is not Donald Trump. Yeah. Have you seen the, the man on the street interviews that Jay Leno has done or John Stossel has done? I mean, yes, it does seem like people are fairly clueless uh, about uh, virtually everything. You know, I mean, <laughs> you know, so, so voting is is a well, a, a risky bet for, for determining rulers. This is another thing that Donald Trump brought up that now that you've sparked my memory there, KS. Uh, when it comes to the you know the the immigration policy of Donald Trump versus the immigration policy of uh, Biden Obama, uh, and that was the issue of like catch and release, and what's the point of that? And Trump literally said, basically that the you know they 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 catch him, they give him a court date for two years off into the future. He's like, I, I don't really want to, I don't want to have to say this, but the only ones that actually show up for their court date are the ones with the really low IQs, if you know, if you know what I mean. 
<laughs> yeah, well, I mean, not with my, you know, wink and the nudge, but he he did say that the, the only people that he, he made the, you know, I don't remember the quote, but he, he did say uh, that the only ones that show up for their immigration hearing are the ones with low IQs. He said that. He said that. <coughs> he conveyed that message, maybe with not those exact words. But low IQ was definitely in there uh, because he, he was apologetic because he wanted to say something else. And he just said, like, well, we'll just say with the ones with low IQs, right? The, <laughs> the dummies, if you will, are the, only, are, the only, are the only immigrants that after they're caught and get their court date, sometimes two years out into the future after being released, show up for their, their court yeah. date. So, something sparked an idea in my head, and that is about uh, the the idea of voting for rulers and one of the greatest scams that has been uh, perpetrated is is I, and I, I I'm gonna assume eh, it's, it's probably both sides but since I'm anti-leftist I'll pick on the left uh, because their name is the Democrat Party and the Democrats believe in uh, democracy and democracy is uh, ruled by a majority or something like that, right? You get to you get to vote for your leader, and that that's what makes it good, right? We Isn't need democracy right? to protect the minority. So, so because we can vote, that 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 means that we have power somehow. And I think that's wrong. I think that's not what makes any system good. I think that what makes a system good is restrictions on the government, uh, and or the elimination of the government. I'll just say that that. I mean, there would still have to be a restriction somewhere and probably written like uh, there will be no government. And that's the rule of the land. Um, so, yeah, I think I think that's what uh, makes a government good is uh, that it can't do anything. The, the less it can do, uh, the more power the people have. And and so, you know, that, that's the only I, I think that's probably the main reason why. I tend to to believe I'm more of a, a right leaning than left leaning, is because I I really hate the idea of mob rule and 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 uh, that that voting somehow uh, gets better results than not having a government. Sure. Again, I, I you know I would say that just makes anti-state in general. Right. Like I get it. I get it that in how do I want to phrase this? I was listening to another podcast and they brought up an interesting point. Um, if you are familiar with the school sucks project, it's a great listen. Um, he recently had a guest on who, you know, uh, kind of was the, the, I want to say catalyst a little bit for, for this show. Uh, Wes Bertrand used to do the complete Liberty podcast. Uh, has relaunched it. So if that's if that's your thing, go ahead and give that a listen. Much more intellectual discourse than we're ever going to have here because they're a lot smarter. Um, but they well, were they, speak for yourself. I just did. <laughs> uh, but but they were they were talking about. Um, oh man, how do I? I don't know. I see. I don't. Without using their words, I don't even know how to phrase this. Um, that whole that whole left that whole left right paradigm i guess all right i've lost my train of thought say something while i think <laughs> I, I i was really trying to think of the quote yeah. and i can't I, I don't know what you're trying to get at but but i i really do think that like the leftists for example i i think there is something to say like whenever whenever you see something that says uh you know get up get out the vote or rock the vote it's always the leftists 
demanding that people vote. Right. Okay. I know I got my train of thought then because it, it wasn't, it wasn't the left versus right train of thought or, or getting out to the vote or the, or the stuff that they speak, the way that they framed the left versus right paradigm was the left, uh, the left paradigm is always external forces to implement change. So like you said, uh, democracy, mob rule, uh, we, we have inequality, therefore we must force this upon you, uh, to, to level the playing field. And the right mentality was internally focused, right? Uh, what, what do I need to change within myself, uh, to, to level that playing field or to make things better. And so when you consider yourself, you know, under that paradigm, um, definitely more right-leaning than left-leaning because it's all about the individual. It's all about the work that the individual does and less about how to control the mob or how to control the government or how to control the state uh, to get what you want. So if you want to, if you want to work under that paradigm, then yeah, you know, definitely more right uh, than left, but it's really, it's not even left versus right. It's, uh, it's, what is it? The internal locus of control versus the external, like what, what can you control versus what you cannot control and where you place that blame, right? The, the, the victim mentality that even amongst libertarians here, right? You know, it's, it's, you know, there's some regions of the area where, uh, they seem to be, they seem to have a higher consciousness than others, right? They're the ones going, well, what are we going to do to, to, you know, make our society work, uh, and then you have, you know, an entirely separate consciousness over here going, it's all the state's fault, right? We, we cannot do what we want to do because the state is in the way and they're not solution oriented. Um, they're just, they're blaming the external force of the state, which is fine. I get it. I agree. Uh, but to, to, to look internally and go like, what are those solutions, uh, that requires a, an entirely different mindset. MC. Kidna- kidnap the governor. No. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> uh, Why not? Do you want to talk about that? I've got. I you know. No, it. no. We. I think we already did it once and and enough. I just. I just thought it was. You know, the the solutions that some people come up with are kind of I, funny. I. I don't necessarily think that this is a left wing right wing phenomenon. That the right wing is more likely to focus on the individual and personal responsibility. I'd like to think that. I think originally. I was, it was explained to me that that's the difference between left and right, but it hasn't been, you know, the, the right wing uh, wanted a mandatory conscription. They wanted to uh, illegal, you know, make all drugs uh, illegal. Uh, the left went along with it. I think <clears throat> you're really talking about the libertarian mentality versus all the others. And uh, that's why I much prefer it when talking about democratic processes, I think it's much more logical to have proportional representation in these democratic uh, agencies, so that you, the, the the minor small voice, the the distinct philosophy of individual freedom, at least can have a uh, a place in the seat. Whereas right now, with the winner take all system we've got, it completely shuts out anything other than the these ideal ideologues of the left and right. Well, and again here. Uh, in, in in New Hampshire, at least, it's why we we see uh, liberty-minded individuals, libertarians, um, run on the two-party ticket, right? Sure. Who's who's more likely to win this cycle? 
uh, I'm registering as that and I'm running for office as that, right? Um, yeah, Ron Paul was very effective with that, you know, as a Republican because he yeah. couldn't do it as a libertarian. That's right. Yeah. But that's our winner take all system. I, I would say that it's not uh, essential to democratic processes. I mean, um, but I mean, of course, the maximum amount of freedom, like we're in Hong Kong, they don't even have democracy, really. They just had a respect for the maximum amount of, of individual freedom and and um, and they were able to produce a lot of pros prosperity and independent thinking about civil liberties and everything else. Um, ah, but then along came China. Yeah, of course, along came China. Makes me wonder, what, what do you think is going to happen with Taiwan? Are they really building for an invasion? Um, or is it just a show in order to make... Uh, into to intimidate and you, for as far as china is concerned yeah. i mean ba based on what they did in hong kong i would say that they're probably planning an invasion right Give, given those options uh it it doesn't seem it doesn't seem like they would have any moral compunction against it right it's just, that's just how they do it well but all along there's been a real difference in between Hong Kong and, and Taiwan. Um, for one thing, the British turned over Hong Kong and it didn't have to be conquered with uh, violence. Uh, they, they are doing that because they are after the British turnover. I mean, the British didn't grant uh, democracy there either. It was a colony and without the ability to elect rulers and finally under pressure, they, they, turned it over to the People's Republic of China under this 50-year uh, condition. But there, were, there was no such thing with Taiwan. It would definitely lead to a lot of bloodshed, a huge, I think, um, um, probably a, a, a really bad publicity for, for the People's Republic of China. But, of course, then they've gotten by with incarcerating 2 million Uyghurs in Western China, and people hardly notice Right. So I'm going to, I'm going to change the subject in order to roll back to this one. Um, uh, I, uh, I was having a discussion with a friend again around here and he is planning on starting some sort of dispute resolution service, right? That's his goal. Uh, a, a, an agorist styled, you know, outside, outside of the system, um, arbitration service. And I'm like, good on you. Right. You, you believe in that sort of thing. Let's, let's do that instead. Um, so we're having this discussion. And one of the things that I think, I think I am confident, uh, in being right about, uh, regardless of how you feel about the moral perspective on it is that all dispute resolution, free market state or other, um, is always predicated uh, on violence. Like that's, I don't know. I have not been able to resolve that out of my thinking. And I don't think anyone's going to be able to convince me of that anytime soon. Now I will say that even though it's all predicated on violence, uh, what we do as a human species and as rational thinking beings is we do our best to resolve disputes before it gets to the violent stage. Is that fair? Am I, is there a disagreement with that at all so far? Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. 
So he wants to start this dispute resolution service because, hey, it doesn't have the violence of the state. Well, it's going to have some kind of violence. It has to. Otherwise, it will be ineffective in the long run. So you, you predicated on violence. We do our best to avoid that violence. Now, here's where I'll try and cycle it back into China. Um, one of the things that I've said before is, you know, might does not, might does not make right, but it does make it so. Right, so we can we can argue the morality, the ethics of you know a, a violent revolution or a violent violent invasion uh, by Chinese wherever they want to go, uh, but but that's not going to stop it from happening. And part of that reason is because the people with the might, right, with the people willing to use the violence to resolve whatever dispute or to get their way, um, are are less inclined to find a nonviolent means to do, to resolve their disputes, right? They, they, there's nothing that you can offer them aside, aside from a hundred percent unconditional surrender that they cannot acquire, obtain by absolute force if necessary. Right? So if you're, if you're Hong Kong, if you're Taiwan, if you know, if you're, you know, what, whatever group, uh, Antifa, whatever, uh, in the United States, you will, you will be met with overwhelming force at some point because the opposition, right? The Chinese federal government, the United States federal government or the Chinese communist government, whatever, has no reason to negotiate with you. They, they can, they have, they have the force. What you need to do is find something to offer them so that they do not use that force on you. So when, when you say like, well, will they actually invade Taiwan? Absolutely. They will invade Taiwan, right? Because Taiwan has nothing to, has no way to defend themselves, you know, legitimately has no way, you know, to, no, nothing to offer back to prevent, to negotiate, to arbitrate uh, before this use of force is necessary, should China want to do it. Um, and when you have, you know, the, the military might, the size of China and the decision maker is so far removed from the actual violence, he has no skin in the game. Uh, you go like, well, we're we're gonna we're gonna lose fifty thousand soldiers in this invasion, right? And he goes like, uh, okay, so we lose fifty thousand, right? You know, grab them from the rice fields, line them back up, and you know, we'll we'll have that replaced by noon tomorrow, right? He doesn't care. May I make uh, some comment on this? Absolutely. Okay. Um. Well, for one, I don't know exactly what the um, op- what the implied obligations are between the United States and Taiwan. I'm guessing that they've had ever since World War II a uh, a tacit agreement of some form that the United States would stand behind Taiwan. They've armed them over the years. They always send out the Pacific Fleet to the Seventh Fleet to uh, to patrol the the grounds whenever i mean the, the the waters between the two in fact remember as far back as uh the debate between kennedy and nixon one of the biggest debate issues on television in their contest for presidency was what would the united states do if if china invaded Quimoy and matsu two islands off the coast of uh of china very close to china that taiwan claimed as part of their territory and both of them said that they would go to the uh, defense of Taiwan in those cases. And I'm guessing that it's there's still a military obligation there. Okay, beyond that, 
I think that there is a larger world audience that matters more to China than just Taiwan. Um, of course, I think one of the reasons they're they're rattling their sabers is because the United States has upped its profile of a recognition of Taiwan, sending, I think it was the Secretary of the State that most recently went there, or some, some big top official that broke tradition and gave high-profile recognition to Taiwan. Um, but also, the rest of the world, the opinion of the rest of the world matters to some extent to the people of China. That's why they don't want the media to go to the Uyghur regions in Western China. That's why they are being as cautious as they are. If they were just just entirely a might-makes-right uh, attitude, they would have done a lot more uh, earlier attack on Hong Kong than, than now. Even the way they've come in, they've given all kinds of um, rationalizations for it. Well, the rationalizations only matter if they care about the, what the outside world thinks about them. Sure. And their but own people. They have to be a little bit cautious about uh, giving a good rationalization, even to their own people. Where they control the media, they still want to, you know, make it all sound rational and humane in in the actions that they take. Sure, but on the international scene, right? No one is no one is coming to the you know the militaristic defense uh, for the Uyghur Muslims, right? No one is coming to a militaristic defense of the protesters in Hong Kong, right? They're, uh, you know, they're, they're, they're shaking their fists and pointing their fingers and going, this is wrong. You shouldn't be doing that. And China goes, you're right. This is so wrong. And then they continue to do it. Right. They, well, they but we're doing it for this reason. They have uh, threatened sanctions. I don't know exactly if they've been imposed. They've also said the British and the Canadians have said, okay, uh, they can now come to Britain and Canada, which is an embarrassment for a country if a lot of people leave. And if they put on... And the, the trade treatment towards Hong Kong is different than the trade treatment towards China. That's much more... And they've, they've removed a lot of the special status trade that they have with Hong Kong, which means that um, they could be crippling the economy of Hong Kong, which the People's Republic of China doesn't want to do that because they have a huge, huge investment there. And that has been already action taken in response to the Chinese um, uh, interventions. And I would say that with all the manufacturing that comes out of China, um, it's it's prohibitively difficult to go on a protracted trade war with China, despite Donald Trump's uh, proclivity to do so, um, because everything is made in China, right? Like if, if you want to cripple your own, you know, economy, then you shut down all imports from China to hurt China. Um, and I don't think that's winnable either, right? It's it, it, saying that, you know, you can evacuate, uh, you know, it, you can evacuate China and go to Canada or you can leave China and go to England is not the same as, hey, we're sending in our military to defend those people in their homeland uh, against, you know, the Chinese forces. Like that's not happening, right? We're, we're sending troops. Taiwan. Might and, and if, if, if the Uyghur Muslims and Hong Kong is any indication of the likelihood of that, uh, I'm going to say China is going to roll through there no, it, it fairly untouched. It isn't at all comparable because the United States has military security treaties with, with Taiwan. And, and, has and the United States has it, never broken a treaty? 
No, no, I, you got you, you're absolutely right there, but it it has had that since World War uh, Two. China, the Nationalist Party, Chiang Kai Shek was considered, you know, by, uh, despite all logic to it, considered considered uh, a U.S. ally uh, at after the war. I mean, for years it was the recognized voice of China in the United Nations. Then finally, it was it was removed in place of China in the seventies, but. I'd say there's a very big difference between the U.S. obligation, military sense of obligation to Taiwan that they didn't feel towards Hong Kong. There was never a treaty. There was with Hong Kong. Hong Kong was turned over from the British. And the Uyghurs, of course, that, that's clearly an internal uh, ethnic um, a group. And the United States has never had any, any sense of obligation towards the security of Uyghurs. Sure. So, so pretend you're the president, like, like as if this part matters, uh, con- <laughs> convince the American people that it's a good idea to, to waste American lives defending Taiwan, right? Pull, pull them out of, pull them out of Afghanistan, pull them out of Iraq, send them to, to, to Taiwan or just, you know, well, re up more troops, station them. Yeah. But that's, that was how they fought the whole Vietnam war. I don't think you can get that moral support after the Vietnam War. Um, yeah, I, I agree with you that it's a tough sell, but it isn't that they wouldn't. Um, well, I mean, you're right. The world has changed a lot since the Vietnam War and since the Kennedy-Nixon debates. And so I don't know how far the American public would, would tolerate uh, U.S. intervention. But the, the U.S., well, speak for speak for yourself US, then. How much intervention would you tolerate? Well, zero is liberty. Okay. okay. But keep in mind, the the U.S. Pacific Seventh Fleet is constantly doing, um, uh, you know, uh, missions down in the South China Sea to challenge China's um, dominance of the South China Sea. And there are other countries down there that are very concerned about this: Vietnam and the Philippines and. And uh, Indonesia and uh, Malaysia, Thailand, uh, all of them are concerned about China's um, effort to dominate the South China Sea. And the U.S. has been down there. There's never been a a whit bit of resistance to the U.S. government doing that. It's always been said, yeah, it's our way of pushing back China, keeping them in check. So, I mean, yeah, you're right. Uh, Sure. It might not, people might not take it seriously, but on the other hand, they haven't resisted any of the U.S. actions. Oh, now you're breaking up significantly. Really? Am I? Uh, you did for a second there. They haven't oh. resisted, and then I lost you. Oh, okay. Uh, so no one in the United States has ever objected, I mean, that I know of in the media, has objected to controlling the South China Sea in order to guarantee freedom of the seas in the South China Sea. Okay. I hear that, and I go, well, part of that is because they're already there. Right there, it, it's not some new war that you need to convince the Americans is a good idea to get into. Whereas going to war against China to defend Taiwan, um, I think is a harder sell than yes, we're patrolling we're patrolling the sea so that China doesn't take control of the, the entire South China Sea. Right, that's to me that's that's a different act than yep, troops are going in. You know, land invasion, protect Taiwan, helicopters launched, uh, you know, paratroopers landing uh, type of nonsense or drones flying over. 
right? We're, we're just going to drone strike China uh, to protect Taiwan. Um, and as you said, you know, from the libertarian perspective, right? Well, that's, that's an interference, right? We, we, what obligation do we have to go over there? And what is what interest is it of ours? Uh, should China take control of Taiwan? Do we have an obligation, you know, moral or otherwise? And then can you get people behind that, right? I With all the wars in the Middle East, you know, like if, now we're going to go attack China. I think if China did that, I mean, look what what the world did in terms of sanctions to Russia when they encroached in the eastern provinces of Ukraine. Um, it was uh, some pretty stringent sanctions. And I'm guessing that China would be expecting that even if there was no military pushback, there would be widespread condemnation and um, shutdown of the of their economy. And their their economy is weak right now. Even Xi Jinping's control and uh, in the in China is vulnerable right now because their economy has done so badly uh, in recent years. So. Uh, if if the world trade shut, system was shut off through sanctions, I don't think it's just uh, nothing to them. Well, I'm not saying that it's nothing. I My contention is that they can outlast the vast majority of the world in that scenario, right? Yeah. Like yeah. You, you, block, you block all Chinese imp- then, exports from the United States or from any other country. Then why haven't they done it uh, before now? China? I mean, if, yeah. I don't know. Good question. Maybe they weren't ready. Maybe they had no motivation. Maybe now is the right time for them. Um, maybe, maybe the posturing is going to turn into violence because of all the, you know, economic sanctions and tariffs imposed by, again, Donald Trump. Right. And he was like, well, if it's, it's a, it's an economic war, tariffs here, tariffs that, uh, you know, import ban this, import ban that we're going to make China pay. And all of a sudden China goes, well, that's the way they're going to play it. And, you know, I let's think just it's do ironic this. that the Chinese government has loaned over a trillion dollars to the U S government to keep up its level of, of spending. Maybe they would say, well, we'll sell those bonds. <laughs> the Chinese government would. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe. And then what? Right. I think their economic clout is probably a more likely response than a military uh, initiative right now because they've got a lot of clout over the United States with trade and with debt, which is the unspoken one. Right. And and again, if you have that uh, you know, hanging over the United States, right, you can continue to hang that over, you can continue to hang the economic threat over the United States to prevent a military response from the United States in order to enact a military uh, act of aggression towards Taiwan, right? Maybe maybe they finally see the United States as in a place where economically uh, they're less likely to back Taiwan uh, militarily because of the economic threat. Like, oh, no, you just, you have your way with Taiwan. Just keep, you know, sending in those cheap Chinese goods, right? We need, we need new screens. We need new Apple phones, uh, you know, 8Ks rolling around. Keep those parts coming. Keep those, you know, keep those components being dug up for all of that. And you can have, and we'll, we, we won't, we won't uh, do our duty uh, to defend Taiwan militarily. Could you see that happening? That's a possibility. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, 
it's kind of fun to speculate about all of these things because the United States has bases. I think uh, Ron Paul pointed out there were some 3,000, 300 major bases and 2,000 minor bases all around the planet. And, and it makes you wonder, you know, where the U.S. would be willing to go to war again, where the U.S. government, I want to distinguish from the people. Um, the population wouldn't care about most all of these places. I'm guessing that population wouldn't even care much about going to the defense of Israel if they were asked personally about it. But it's, uh, you know, the political establishment that is committed to Israel as well as a number of other places. I think that's a big part of it. And again, you know, to, to say anything bad about Israel is to be anti-Semitic. Yeah. And, <laughs> right. and, although, and although the anti-Semitism uh, sentiment is rising in popularity, or at least being more open about it in the United States, uh, I, I still think the vast majority of average citizens uh, will, will still fear uh, being considered anti-Semitic in any way, especially um, with cancel culture being what it is, right? Even with uh, Seth Rogen, is that the, the funny comedian? Um, mm-hmm. Like a couple of months ago, basically came out as as a member of the Jewish community and basically said, we were lied to this whole time. As you know, as as a Jewish kid growing up, we were lied to about the, what's actually going on between Israel and Palestine. Um, and it's, it's absurd that I'm. it's taken me like, you know, this long to find out the truth. And boy, did he take a, an ass kicking in the media for that. Right, because really? how I didn't dare know anything about this? Yeah, how dare you, Jews, speak out against Jews in Israel? <laughs> right, you can you cannot let that cat out of the bag. You're 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 in the in group, you know, defending the out group. No, so yeah, so you know, it's conspiracy theories, APAC being a thing, um, it's very it's very difficult to be a critic of anything that uh, goes on in Israel. Um, or, or even to speak out against the the vast amount of aid uh, that the United States already sends over to Israel uh, to continue to commit those atrocities, and right? to Egypt to be on both sides, <laughs> they they give uh, massive amounts of military assistance to both sides. I think the National Taxpayers Union once claimed that the that the U.S. government uh, over a twenty year period of time gave to both sides of fourteen different wars. All right. Checked on the the details of that, but I remember reading about that was a an assertion of the National Taxpayers Union. See, and again, this is another weird thing, right? Because if it were a private company doing it, I'd be all for it, right? Smart, <laughs> you know. It, it always reminds me of of um, was Colonel Parker, Elvis Presley's manager, who was you know who was okay. Elvis Elvis Presley's manager, uh, but also responsible for the vast amount of sales. Of I hate Elvis buttons. <laughs> really? Right? Like, played both sides. <laughs> right? Made made money on the people that loved the record, made money on the people that wanted to buy buttons to to, to uh you know to express their disdain for the for the king of rock and roll. So <laughs> I always think of that when I you know when when I think of things in general, I go like, how do you make money both ways? Right? Is there is there a way? Is there a way to make money uh selling MAGA hats to Trump people? And also, you know, BLM hats uh, to Biden supporters and anti-Trumpers, right? If you were just a hat guy and didn't have a political affiliation, but could set up, you know, two companies, perhaps unrelated to one another, uh, so that no one knew that you were selling to both, right? Why not sell to both, 
right? Why not, why not design that t-shirt meant to offend everybody and offend nobody at the same time? Yeah. So I, I always thought, uh, the, the stock market was kind of a funny because, uh, let's say there's a, you know, Intel versus AMD, the make microprocessors for PCs. Yep. And, uh, uh, say say you don't uh, you know AMD was you know le- less than a hundredth of the price of of Intel at one point and you know it just under the fear that that you know AMD AMD might make a comeback uh, why wouldn't Intel just buy buy half the company and then if Intel does indeed make a comeback or let's say Intel slacks a little bit uh, then you could still make money off of a Selling AMD processors too. <laughs> well, who would you be in that case? Because I'm sure you would run into uh, antitrust issues if you were Intel going, oh, let me, let's just buy half of AMD. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. Right. <laughs> but yeah, that's what I would do. Uh, so sometimes uh, it's better just to buy both if you don't know which one's going to win. And as an investor, that would just be hedging, right? Yeah, yeah you can you can own stock in Microsoft and Apple. Right, or Google and Samsung or whoever, whoever the, the, those uh, competition is. And that would make I'm, sense as I'm a gonna vote. I'm going to vote for Biden and Trump. <laughs> Good. You probably have two ballots. You're in Hawaii, right? <laughs> <laughs> Just vote one in person and one in the mail. Who cares? <laughs> All right. Final thoughts? Good times. All right. That'll do it for us then. Uh, you guys know where to find us, anarchistexperience.com. Uh, on Telegram, t.me slash anarchistexperience or t.me slash theanarchistexperience. And if you'd like to contribute to the show financially, you can do so through Patreon, patreon.com slash theanarchistexperience. Thank you very much for listening, and we'll talk to you all next week. Peace. Aloha. <laughs>